G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is about the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, 1-8, and it forms the conclusion of the second part of our Kingdom Come series. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew chapter 17, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Loving Lord God, as we approach your word today, we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see you, hearts illuminated and lives ready to apply what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, please take a seat. And as you do, you might want to open up to 1225 in your pew Bibles, uh, because that's where we're going to be focusing today, the transfiguration, 1225. 
Today uh, we're wrapping up the second section of our Kingdom Come series in Matthew. It just so happens to be Transfiguration Sunday, so we're ending the series with a bang. This is also the perfect pivot passage for the series we'll be starting next Sunday. It's called Exodus, the Gospel Before the Gospel. And it's all about how the book of Exodus is good news. It's a story of how God freed his people from slavery and brought them into the promised land. We'll also see that the Exodus event foreshadows how Jesus frees us from slavery to sin and brings us into God's kingdom. So today I'm going to focus on Jesus and Moses. Maybe Elijah, maybe we'll do Elijah next year, maybe we'll do a series on Elijah, but we're just going to hone in on Jesus and Moses. And hopefully it'll bring out the mosaic aspect of this passage and whet our appetites for what is to come. So first of all, let's look at three similarities between Moses and Jesus. Now, if you're following along in your pew sheets, you'll see that um, my original dot points had Jesus is like Moses. And when Zoe, my proofreader, was uh, having a look at it, she was like, really what you're saying is that Moses is like Jesus, not Jesus is like Moses. And I was like, you know what? You've got a point there. So, <laughs> so you might want to cross that out and rejig it to make sense. But first up, Jesus, uh, Moses is like Jesus in his early life. Moses was born during the time of a bloodthirsty pharaoh who wanted to kill all male Hebrew babies two years and younger to shore up his power base. Jesus, too, was born during the time of a bloodthirsty king who wanted to kill all Hebrew babies two years and younger to shore up his power base. Both Moses and Jesus are rescued from their fates by quick-thinking folks who give them safe childhoods. Moses grew up in Egypt, as did Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew tells us how Mary and Joseph basically lived as refugees in Egypt, hiding away from Herod until he died, until it was safe to return to Nazareth. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace, but soon the suffering of his people in Egypt got to him. So he went and lived in the wilderness where he got his call from God and began his ministry. Likewise, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, goes into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. It's only then that he emerges from the wilderness as a man on a mission. And this is another parallel between Moses and Jesus. They were both men on a mission. Moses is called by the Lord to tell Pharaoh, the leader of the most powerful empire in the world at the time, to let my people go. In the same way, 1400 years later, Jesus confronts the might of the most powerful empire in his day, Rome. He gathers thousands of people for the Sermon on the Mount, which we looked at earlier in the year. And he expounds the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. At Sinai, the glory of the Lord is revealed in a cloud, just like that at the Mountain of Transfiguration. Do you see how these links are coming together? 
There Moses is given the law written by the Lord on stone tablets. The same law that that Jesus interprets for the people at the Sermon on the Mount. Both Moses and Jesus wanted more for their people. They wanted them to connect with God and got frustrated by our tendency to run back to old idols, old sins and meaningless lifestyles. As Moses leads the 12 tribes, so Jesus gathers 12 disciples. As Moses drew away from the people to be with God, so Jesus withdraws in order to pray to his Father. Both Moses and Jesus are freedom fighters who lead bands of wayward people onto a future only they can see fully, trying to communicate the wonders of God's future. This brings us to the last similarity between Moses and Jesus, although there are many, many more. And it's their feeding miracles. In the wilderness, the people get hungry, so Moses prays to God and gives them manna, bread from heaven, and quail, meat from heaven. Likewise, when Jesus is in the wilderness with thousands of people around him, he feeds them. In Matthew 14, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then in Matthew 15, he feeds 4,000. Both Moses and Jesus show us that God provides for our spiritual and physical needs. In God, there is nourishment beyond compare. A big application for us here today is that we need to get our heads around the Old Testament. In light of the Old Testament, the New Testament comes to life. And when the New Testament comes to life, the Old Testament lives. Moses provides a template that foreshadows the life of Christ. Too often, well-meaning Christians say things like, well, we don't need the Old Testament. We just need the Gospels. We don't need all this angry stuff about plagues and these strange genealogies from long ago. Or sometimes passionate atheists will try to make out that the Old Testament God is angry and the New Testament God is is Jesus, meek and mild, and they're totally at odds with each other. From that, they'll tout that this is a reason to abandon faith altogether. But friends, this is our heritage. The parallels between Moses and Jesus are uncanny. And they show us that the Bible isn't a bunch of ancient myths. Instead, it's one unified story from creation, fall, salvation, and on to redemption. The Bible is 66 books written by over 40 different human authors. But ultimately, ultimately, it's inspired by one Holy Spirit. One Holy Ghost writer. As Peter sees Jesus transfigured, he gets excited. And in Matthew 17, 4, he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. How good would to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter can see all the parallels between Moses, the great lawgiver, and Jesus, his rabbi. 
And the fact that Elijah there is there, the great prophet, just boggles his mind. And he gets excited, but it, it's almost as if he thinks all three of them are equal. They each get a tent. It's almost as if he's saying, well, Jesus, you're just as good as Moses and Elijah. But not in God's sight. In verse 5 we read, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's exactly what God says from the cloud at Jesus' baptism. But there's an extension. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Moses and Elijah are superheroes of the Bible. But Jesus is in a totally different league. Jesus is greater than Moses. So let's look at three ways that Jesus is greater than Moses and think about what that means for us today. Firstly, Jesus is better than Moses because he reveals the fullness of God's glory to us. In Exodus 33, Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory. He just wants to see God's glory in order to go on. And the Lord graciously replies, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me. And live. Moses is put in the cleft of a rock, and the glory of the Lord passes by him, but he isn't allowed to see God for his own safety. At the transfiguration, the same glory cloud descends. And this is why the disciples fall on their faces. They're not They're not happy. They're not calm. They are terrified. They know that if the cloud was going to be lethal for Moses, they've got no chance. And yet they don't die. Why? Because Jesus, the rock of ages, protects them. Through Jesus, sinners can come before the holiness of God and live. Hebrews 3 says it like this. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Christ is faithful as the son of a God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This is why we can live Lives filled with confidence and hope. One day, like Peter, James, and John, we'll see God face to face. On that day, if we know and love Jesus, he will shield us from the wrath of God that our sins deserve and welcome us into God's glory. Let's hold on firm to that confidence and hope today. A second way that Jesus is better than Moses is that while Moses brought the law, Jesus sums up the law and the prophets. The law 
and the prophets are a big deal in Matthew. Four times Matthew mentions that Jesus has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. You see, the law was given to Moses as a good gift from a good God. The freed slaves are set free and brought into freedom, but they didn't know how to live free. God showed them how through the law. Likewise, God sent the prophets to keep the people accountable and speak his words. Sadly, throughout the Bible, we see the people are unable to keep the law. Like all those broken New Year's resolutions or diets that we've tried, we try to follow God but fail. And when the prophets tell us to roll up our socks and try harder, we fail again. You see, what we need is not a list of laws or a people to keep us in line. We need a saviour who will pick us up off the floor and help us to live again for God. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about mindless law-keeping or beating yourself up to conform. Instead, it's about a relationship with Jesus. He graciously gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, growing better every day. We do this not because we want something from God. We do it because we love God. And find pleasure in pleasing him. So friend, this week I want to encourage you to find one thing you can do to make God smile. Not just one thing you can do, but one thing you want to do. It could be putting away your phone and spending time in prayer. It could be volunteering somewhere or visiting someone who could do with a friend. It could be showing grace to that person who bugs you and letting go of your anger. It was wonderful. Um, Friday and Saturday over the last couple of days, we've had some funerals. um, And the ladies in our church just organized these beautiful groups of just happy and joyful women who came and served the families who were grieving. And the spread was amazing. It 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 was incredible. But... The fellowship was also incredible. Just being in the kitchen, everyone was just working together and happily serving. Service of Christ is freedom and joy. And this brings me to the final way that Jesus is better than Moses. On the way down the mountain, Jesus says to his disciples, Don't tell everyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It's a strange thing to say, but it gets to the heart of what the transfiguration is about. Some call the transfiguration the least miraculous miracle in the whole Bible. Because all Jesus does is show us who he really is. What's truly miraculous is how God became God with us and came into the world as a baby. The fact that the one 
who set the stars in space became an embryo should leave us gobsmacked. That Jesus should then humble himself enough to die for us is too wonderful for words. As the disciples travel down the mountain of transfiguration, we see that the path of glory is through humility. Jesus is glorious not because of his shining face or because of his glory clouds. He's glorious because he loves us enough to die for us. So friends, this week, let's look for opportunities not to make much of ourselves. Let's think about sacrifices we can make to show others God's glory. Moses used his life to point forward to Jesus. How can we use our lives to point to Jesus too? This life will humble us and it will take us through valleys of tiredness, sorrow and pain. But we don't live this life for this life alone. Instead, we press on towards Jesus, knowing that in him, the best, God's very best, is yet to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.